Our epistle lesson is found in Romans chapter 8. We are reading verses 12 through 17 this morning. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we give thanks for your truth, the gift that you have granted to us, and we ask God now that you grant us your spirit in full measure, that we may know and perceive all that is ours in Christ. We ask that you speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Several years ago, I was in need of procuring some summer reading. It had been a tough year full of academic study and the normal rigor of things, and so I wasn't looking for anything deep or profound. In fact, I wanted something mindless, some cotton candy, you could say, something on which the pages turned rather easily that I could read on the beach. And it was at that point that I learned of the Chamberlain Book Mind on Roosevelt Boulevard. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's a secondhand bookstore with thousands upon thousands of secondhand books. So I armed myself $25 and I set out to find a collection of Tom Clancy novels. That was going to be my summer reading. If you've been to Chamblin's, you'll know my experience. When I arrived, I was absolutely overwhelmed. There were so many books. It wasn't just a few at discount prices. There was, you could say, a plethora of books. They were everywhere. Books here, books there, books stacked to the ceiling, and I didn't know where to start. So I wandered to the back section and began perusing through the books. I thought I knew how to use a normal library, and so I went to the section where the authors were, their names began with C. And so after 20 minutes, I had exhausted that section and not found one novel by Tom Clancy. It was now that I began to question the wisdom of everyone who had recommended Chamblin's to me. What was this? What a bookstore. No Tom Clancy. And so I began to walk out with a bit of a self-righteous air. And it was at that point that I noticed there was another room off to the side. And it wasn't a small room. In fact, it was larger than the first room that I had been in. And it was then that I realized something, that there was this infinite resource in front of me, a book mine, literally. But I didn't understand the system of organization, and I didn't know how to appreciate it or use it. And so here I was, this massive resource, a library of secondhand books that had absolutely everything I could ever imagine, and I didn't know how to use it. And guys, here's the truth for us, that as a pastor and also as a Christian that I've discovered, and 
working with myself and also talking with other people. Something like this applies to us as well in the Christian life. We have a massive, unending resource that's given to us in Jesus Christ through his death and through his resurrection. But we always don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to appropriate it. We don't know how to enjoy it. We don't know how to apply it. We struggle with this massive resource. And this is what the Apostle Paul is seeking to undo in the book of Romans. He teaches us about these resources that are ours, ones that belong to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, particularly in chapters 5 through chapters 8. And in these verses today, in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 8, we see specifically what it means to be adopted by God, this resource that is granted to us. We see that we are God's children, sons and daughters, heirs brought into his family who have the privilege of calling upon him as Abba Father, personal and intimate name. And so this morning, what is most critical for us is to see that God desires for us to reckon with this new reality that he's bestowed upon us, that he has adopted us and he wants us to reckon with that, to understand what it means to appropriate, to enjoy and to apply the reality of being a child and an heir of all that belongs to Jesus. He wants you and he wants me to see that these massive resources, these benefits, belong to us, that they are properly ours because of what the Son has done on our behalf. And in these verses, there's four things in particular in which we must reckon with. The first is we have to reckon with our adoption. The second is that we have to reckon with the pilgrimage that he's put us on. The third is that we come to reckon with our freedom and finally, with our assurance. And so let's look at each of those four things. First, we must reckon with our adoption. In verse 15, we're introduced for the first time in the book of Romans to the term adoption. Of course, it's other places in the New Testament. But this term adoption is a powerful legal metaphor from the world of the Bible and also from the world of Roman legal society. In Rome, adoption was a legal act in a court where a child could be brought into a family and granted all the rights and privileges of a natural-born child. It was a legal act. It was a declaration that was made by a judge in the court. And so Paul picks up on this notion and this idea of a legal act, of a declaration and that what he is saying is that this declaration has been made about you. That adoption is not up to a subjective feeling. That adoption is a legal act. It's a declaration, an announcement, a pronouncement by God that you belong to him. That you are now his son. You are now his daughter. You are his child and an heir of everything that belongs to him. The true son, Jesus, laid down his life, and in dying our death, he has been raised because he is the one righteous one, and now by faith he grants us to share in everything that belongs to him. And so we are reconciled to the Father through Jesus. 
And then we're invited into communion, the Son's communion with the Father through what Jesus has done. And this is what the Son invites you to share in. And friends, it's ours now to reckon with that, to realize it, to appropriate, to enjoy, to apply. You see, because we're not anxiously awaiting God's approval, because we have that approval in Christ, this is what it means to be adopted. We're not attempting to do things to gain acceptance with God. We've already been received as a member of the family through the Son. We're not fearful that we're going to be overlooked by God because we've already been brought into the family. And we're not skeptical that he'll abandon us because he made us his own in Christ. Friends, those are the realities that we have to reckon with and that we honestly struggle with. And so we must look back upon this legal act that God has declared and that God has announced about you apart from your accomplishments, apart from your achievements, because we've seen that in the book of Romans, these are negligible, that there's nothing you can do, that you have no valor, that you have no virtue in which you can offer God, but you've been adopted freely and graciously because of what the Son has done for you, his accomplishment on your behalf. And so we have to reckon with that that God has given you a gracious gift, a place and a standing in his household, in his home. It's free. Secondly, we must reckon with our pilgrimage. In verse 14, we read this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And we noted from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 8 that Paul borrows heavy on the language. It's the language from the narrative, the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt. You particularly find that in Exodus 13 and 14. And there God leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he leads them by the pillar and cloud of fire. He was present with them. And Paul picks up that language here and says that we are being led by the Spirit of God, that we're being led to our final destination, out of the house of slavery and bondage to sin. And it is this narrative of pilgrimage, of exodus, of being brought out of slavery, harsh conditions, conditions in which we're instructed to make more bricks and given less and less straw, in which our humanity is stripped from us, that this is the condition of sin. And now we are walking out, being led by God to a new and final destination. We're told that it is the Spirit of God that is present with us and leading us. And that we've not been given a spirit of slavery, a spirit that leads us back into fear. No, we're not being led back to Egypt. You're not being taken to that harmful place that God has good intentions for you. We've received the spirit of adoption, we're told in verse 15. And now it is our privilege together as one family to cry out to God, Abba, Father. Intimate and personal and powerful names that denote authority and relationship. And as these adopted children on this pilgrimage, 
we have to learn to reckon with the fact that we have a good and a caring and a gracious Father. That oftentimes our notions of authority are those that we derived back in Egypt. And so we're resentful and distrustful. But on the pilgrimage out, as we're led by the Spirit of God, as God takes us to a new and final destination that we'll put the exclamation on next week as we continue in Romans 8, but that as he leads us, that he's good, he's beneficent, he's kind, he's merciful, he's gracious. And friends, until we recognize that this is the God who leads us through the wilderness on this pilgrimage, we will always struggle with obedience to him. John Calvin captures this well. He says, humans will never be obedient to God's precepts unless their distrust of him is corrected. And it is that distrust that Israel struggled with in the wilderness. Because many of the Israelites said, see, it'd be better for us back in Egypt. We wouldn't have to worry about these pressures and concerns of the wilderness. And some wanted to return. But God, as he leads us through that wilderness, on the way to final destination, asks that we trust him that he is good, that he is caring, that he is merciful. And so we have to reckon with that distrust. We have to reckon with the tensions of the pilgrimage. And we're called to believe that God has committed himself to us, that we are, in fact, his children, sons and daughters, and that he is leading us and guiding us and instructing us on the way. Third, we also must reckon with our freedom. In verse 12, Paul begins his argument this way. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Debt is a powerful force. We understand that in our own economic terms, that debt can create a system that strangles life. It can control our entire existence. And in the ancient world where Paul used this metaphor, that was specifically the case, particularly the case. Because if you were indebted to someone and defaulted upon a loan, they actually had legal recourse to take you to debtor's prison. That was done so that then your family or extended family would pay on your debt. If your family or extended family could not pay on your debt, then you were sold into slavery. And the person who was owed would recuperate some of the money. It was an unusually harsh system. And Paul picks up that idea and he reminds you that you are not controlled, that you do not belong to this debt. You're not a debtor to sin that you do not belong to sin, that yes, in your past, you belonged there to that master. We're still in contact with it. It still influences us. The habits that we procured prior to our conversion, that they're still there and they still haunt us and cast their shadow over us. But the message is that you've been set free from it. You don't belong to it. It would be as if your mortgage has been satisfied, 
So why do you continue the monthly payment? It's absurd. It makes no sense. No one has a lien on the house. And so why do you continue to pay? You satisfied what you owed. And in verse 13, Paul recognizes that some do obey that logic, though. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Like Israel in the desert, some wanted to go back to Egypt. Even though they'd seen the mighty acts of God delivering them through the Red Sea, God providing for them in every way, taking them through the wilderness, despite seeing all these good things and tasting the good gifts of God, they thought it was better in Egypt. It's a reality in the life of the church. But Paul's also convinced of better things. He's convinced that step by step on this journey, in this pilgrimage, with all of our stumbling and all of our sloppiness and all of our mess, that God by his spirit leads us through the wilderness, faithfully on the pilgrimage, as we put to death the deeds of that old life by the power of his spirit. And friends, what we must reckon with is that freedom that we are not debtors and progressively reckoning with that. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of sin and our own failures and our own struggles, we have to learn to do a simple task, and that is to preach the gospel to ourselves. Perhaps you're familiar with the phrase of Jack Miller, in which in the midst of his own sinful struggles, he encouraged others to preach the grace of God to themselves, that we become our own best minister and priest by taking the truths of the gospel and preaching them to our unbelieving hearts. And that in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the pilgrimage and the journey where we feel all the tensions and the struggles, we preach those truths to ourselves. And so you say to yourself, I am not a debtor. I am not indebted to sin. And then you say, God, help me. Help my unbelief. Help me in all the struggle that I feel and all the pressure and the tension and all of my failures. Convince me of this truth more and more each day. And you ask God to help you appropriate and enjoy these truths that he's announced over you in Jesus. This is what it means to reckon with your freedom on the journey towards a new and final destination. And finally, we also must reckon with our assurance. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. This testimony, this witness, is one of the primary functions of the Spirit in your life. And it's an existential one in which God, by the power of the Spirit, gives you a testimony, a witness. It is to assure you in your inner being that you indeed belong to him, that you are his child. This witness of the Spirit calls us to hear the testimony of God, of what he has done to take you into his family, to make you part of his home. And it's a testimony that points you to something objective, Something outside of yourself. 
Because this testimony of the Spirit points you to none other than Jesus. To know that in him, the spirit of adoption is appointing you, is pointing you to the true son, the one in whom you are adopted. But on our pilgrimage, Christians are often tempted to look for waypoints in the wilderness. Waypoints that assure them that they are on the right path. And for many sensitive consciences among us, it is this specific task that becomes very challenging and we become convinced that we're lost. As a church planner in Arlington, Virginia, there was one young woman, a member of our congregation, who was struggling with that assurance and she was looking for those waypoints along the way. She felt a conflict with sin inside and so she had convinced herself that she was not converted and so she set up a breakfast in which we met and she expressed all of this now the backdrop is this woman had a beautiful faith a great testimony and here she was crumbling in front of me and so I asked her a simple question I said what would a day look like in which you felt more assured she thought about it for a minute and then she gave a list of things she said well I'd wake up desiring to pray And then I would have a really great, vitalized prayer time. I'd have a burden for the lost that day. I would care about them. I would want them to know Jesus, and I don't always feel that way. I'd care about the poor in our community. I'd trust God with my uncertain future, my employment, the spouse that I desire. I'd trust God to have more joy in my life. She kept on going. She said, I'd be more patient with the kids that I teach. I'd extend them more grace. And I'd be more gracious with my friends and family here at the church. The list was long. The list was burdensome. And at the end of it, it was rather easy to see why her assurance was waffling. Because here she had this long list, this subjective list. And she was looking for assurance. In order to find that assurance, she had turned her focus inward. And she was navel-gazing at herself, an introspection that was picking herself apart, piece by piece by piece. And she put all the focus of assurance in the middle of the wilderness on her own performance. And friends, it's not that the Spirit doesn't bear witness to himself in good fruits in our lives. But this is not the primary witness to your assurance. That the Spirit's primary witness is not to those subjective things, but rather it's to the objective truth. That the Spirit's testimony that he bears to us is in the truth of the gospel. And that the primary basis of our assurance is in the true Son, Jesus as we look to him who died on our behalf, but because he was the righteous one was raised. And the Spirit's witness points and directs us to him. And what we desperately need to do in moments in which we crumble underneath the weight, wondering if indeed we're in fact converted, are we truly Christian? 
is that we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and we need to fix our gaze on Jesus. Because it is in that shift of attention that we begin to hear the Spirit's witness because the Spirit's testimony is to Jesus and that's where he directs us. And so look to no one else. Look to none other. This is what the Son has done for you. And this is the Spirit's testimony to you. It is to Christ. And so, friends, we have to reckon with all of these truths. It is your privilege on the journey out of Egypt to reckon with these things. But these are the tensions and the struggles that we feel, that we have to reckon with our adoption, what it means to be freely brought into the family of God, in which we bring nothing. We bring nothing to that legal declaration. It is simply announced. It is declared by God. We have to reckon with our pilgrimage and the tensions we feel in the midst of that pilgrimage, all the problems and weaknesses that we experience and we have to learn to trust that God is a gracious and he is a caring father and he is guiding us on the way, taking us to final destination. We have to reckon with our freedom, that we're not debtors to the flesh, to sin. And yet, oftentimes we find ourselves still paying on a mortgage that's been satisfied. And we have to reckon with the absurdity of that situation. And we have to reckon with our assurance. The ways in which we go about seeking that assurance that are misguided. And we have to learn to look to Jesus, to put our gaze and our focus there. And in recognizing and doing that, that's when the best fruits of the Spirit are born in our lives. Friends, these are the truths of the gospel. You are adopted sons. You are adopted daughters. You are the children of God. You belong to him. That is his declaration to you. And so enjoy, apply, appropriate all of these truths as you walk out of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for your help with these things. The truths of the gospel that you have declared, they overwhelm us. And help us to know what to do with this unending and infinite resource and help us to make it more and more our own. Grant us to know our assurance, our adoption, our freedom as we walk out. Give us grace, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.